Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Because I'm Happy edition, as we take a look at the Bengals Hall on day three of the NFL Draft and provide an overview of a draft class featuring a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, a big play threat at wide receiver, and three newcomers at the team's most obvious position of need. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since the little kid who imitated Joe Burrow's famous victory cigar. This is courtesy of my friend and former co-worker Joe Daneman, the tremendous sports anchor at Fox 19 in Cincinnati. He challenged viewers to imitate their favorite Joe Burrow gifts, and a six-year-old named Jake Hofstetter, with an assist from his dad, did a slow-motion video that perfectly mimics Burrow with his legs crossed, savoring that victory cigar after the national championship win over Clemson. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and check it out. Just go to Twitter and look for at HumKen. That's H-U-M-K-E-N. HumKen. Trust me, it's priceless. Now, let's learn about the newest Bengals from people who have watched them play. After choosing linebacker Logan Wilson with the first pick in the third round on Friday night, the Bengals doubled down at the position at the top of the fourth round on Saturday by selecting Appalachian State's Akeem Davis-Gaither. By traditional standards, he's undersized for linebacker at 6'1", 224, but the game is changing. Devin Bush is two inches shorter and about 10 pounds heavier and was the 10th pick in last year's draft before having a strong rookie season for the Steelers. For more on Akeem Davis-Gaither, Here's Appalachian State play-by-play voice Adam Witten. Akeem is one of those guys who is incredibly versatile as a player. Uh, Dan, thanks for thanks for having me. We're, we're really excited as the Appalachian family uh, to see him get drafted so early and, and see a guy really who is has worked his tail off to get to where he has. Everybody that's been drafted has their own story to get to this point. But I think what people are really going to like about Akeem is is his work ethic and his motivation and his attitude. He, he's got the physical traits. He, he's incredibly fast. He's strong. He's put on about 50 pounds since he came on campus as a 175-pound freshman in 2015. But just to see where he was um, and where he's gotten to now is a true testament to his work ethic. Um, that guy is someone that wasn't very highly recruited out of high school. He had one Power 5 offer, really, out of Thomasville High School uh, near Winston-Salem in North Carolina. Uh, But he has developed, he has learned, he has applied himself, and now all of a sudden he has taken that strong work ethic and combined it with some amazing physical traits to become the complete package at linebacker. I like that the fact that he can do a lot of different things. You know, I think he's big enough to, to, to be somebody that can tackle in space one-on-one. He's fast enough to track guys down sideline to sideline and on the perimeter. And we've seen him a lot in in coverage, too, being able to cover tight ends or slot receivers and be able to, to make plays and, and cause some disruption in the passing game as well. I think Bengal fans are really going to like this young man. 
We are talking to the voice of Appalachian State, Adam Witten. He's a coach's kid. Was that evident when you were around him? I think so. But but the interesting thing about Akeem is that he, he didn't really have a love for football when he was in high school until about midway through his high school career. Um, you know, his, his dad, Keith, has been a coach for, for a long time. And so it was kind of something that was expected out of him when, when he was growing up. But it wasn't until midway through his high school career that, that he kind of developed that love for football. But once he did develop that love and that passion for it, you could really see it. I mean, the, all the things that you look for in, in someone who's, who grows up in a football family and a coach's son, um, you can see the discipline. You can see the attention to detail. You can see the attitude. He is mature way beyond his years um, because he has learned a lot of those traits, I think, from, from his upbringing. And so, yes, you can you can certainly see that come across, not just watching him play, but when you get a chance to, to speak to him and be around him um, off the field as well. He has special teams experience at Appalachian State. He told us that he was the special teams player of the year early in his career uh, in college, and that's likely something he'll be asked to do in Cincinnati. Do you see him contributing right away in that department? I do. I do. You know, Akeem, one of the highlights of his career um, was this past season, and it was on special teams. You know, he early in the year, you see guys like him that are on coverage units, getting down, making tackles, causing havoc in, in the kickoff return game when you're on the other side. But Akeem's biggest play, maybe in his career, one of the ones he's going to be remembered for, is he blocked the field goal to beat North Carolina early in the season for the Mountaineers. It was a monumental win for the program, beating an ACC program from within the state. Their first win over a P5 program since Michigan in 2007. And Akeem had the game-winning play by by blocking the kick um, to give Appalachian a three-point win. So whether it's in coverage, making tackles on kickoff coverage or punt coverage, or even on uh, the block units to be able to make a play in field goal block or even punt block. Um, he, he's got a lot of different ways he could potentially help on special teams. You mentioned that he's added about 50 pounds since uh, enrolling in college, 175 to 225. Is that about all that uh, he can grow to, or is there still room to maybe add a little more size? It's a good question. Um, you know, we, we've seen this at, at places like Appalachian where guys, you know, traditionally at a, at a, at a G5 program like an App State, you'll tend to get guys who are super talented but maybe a little bit undersized. But we've seen them graduate into the NFL and then put on a lot more bulk. Um, you know, one of the team's biggest strengths is, is his speed. He is uniquely quick as a linebacker. Um, and he was able to play an outside linebacker position in a 3-4 base because of that speed and, and the way that he could get after the quarterback or track guys down in space. And so, I don't know. I think it kind of remains to be seen whether or not getting larger than 225 is going to be a benefit for him because I think even at 225, he's strong enough and has good enough technique to still tackle bigger guys. Um, so, you know, the one thing that you don't want to do is do anything to, to make him lose some of the things he's really good at, which is certainly his quickness. Final question for Appalachian State broadcaster Adam Witten. I was surprised to learn that Akeem suffered a stress fracture in his foot in week three and kept playing, made it through the season, played in the Senior Bowl, then had foot surgery in March. What does that say about Akeem Davis-Gaither? It certainly shows his, his toughness and um 
you know, that that's one way to look at it because I think a lot of us kind of learned toward the end of the season just what he was dealing with throughout 2019. The fact that you said, you know, it, it happened in that North Carolina game that we, we just talked about. Um, but we, we, saw, we saw no signs of him slowing down. He was still as good as ever um, and continued to improve his stock as the season went along. Um, you know, he was impressive in the senior bowl, as, as, as we've discussed. And so... I think if anything, it says his ability to, uh, to, to really do whatever is required for him to, to get the job accomplished. Um, I, I've, I've talked about his ter- determination, which is, which is apparent as we've seen him throughout his Appalachian career. But the fact that he was still just as productive as he was, even battling that injury in his senior season, you know, ideally it says, man, after now a, a long time to heal from, from that procedure, you know, imagine could he be even better than than what we saw in his senior season at Appalachian, which was pretty spectacular. So uh, hopefully it gives uh, maybe even a higher ceiling than we originally thought. An excellent look at fourth-round pick Akeem Davis-Gaither, courtesy of broadcaster Adam Witten. In the fifth round, the Bengals selected Notre Dame defensive end Khalid Kareem, a 6'4", 268-pounder who was a two-year starter for the Fighting Irish and had 13 sacks over the last three years. Here's a closer look at Kareem from Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo. You know, at this point in the draft, uh, when you get a guy that's uh, as big and as tall and as long as, you know, this guy's an 84-inch wingspan, um, you know, had 13 somewhat sacks in his career, uh, was a captain in Notre Dame last year. You're talking about some uh, and has has pass rush ability again in, in the fifth round. I think that's uh, those are traits that we like. Seems like everybody you're drafting uh, has been a team captain with severe intelligence. I mean, it's 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 uh, building a heck of a culture. It seems like. Yeah, it helps. I mean, those guys. Uh, you know, anybody anytime you got leaders, uh, you know that or leaders in college certainly that. Uh, that lends lends itself to being a better leader in the pros. So, and at a place like Notre Dame, you know, which is uh, obviously is what it is. So we're we're very excited about it. Lou, you've got five free agents that could start. Logan Wilson was drafted. Now uh, this player from Notre Dame. Can you talk about how the the talent on defense has just been transformed? Well, you know, it was uh, over the last few years. You know, obviously got here late last year, but. Uh, um, you know, as I've said since I've gotten here, this has been a proud place when it comes to defense, uh, you know, for a long, long time, and it hasn't been that way the last few years. And, uh, you know, some of the players getting older and, you know, for whatever the reasons. But uh, part of it is our job is to evaluate and uh, get younger bodies in here that can compete for spots. And, you know, who ends up starting and all that will, will play itself out. But uh, the, our job is to get a pool to, to create competition and then the best guys will bubble up and play and and we're doing that with both free agency and the draft. Before we get to the Bengals sixth round pick here's a quick reminder that you can take your Bengals pride to the next level in 2020 with an official Bengals fan package from Prime Sport. The Bengals selected one offensive lineman in this year's draft Hakeem Adeniji a four-year starter at Kansas who played tackle there before taking some snaps at guard in the senior bowl. He's 6'4", 300 pounds, and had a fourth-round grade, according to draft guru Dane Brugler, but fell to the Bengals at the top of round six. For more on Adenogy, here's the voice of the Kansas Jayhawks, 
Brian Haney. Well, Dan, thanks a lot for having me on. I'm so excited for Akeem, and uh, I think Cincinnati fans should be pumped, too. This was a guy who was the model of consistency from the first day he arrived on campus, and I know we'll talk about the circumstances that led to him being a Jayhawk but he comes in the middle of the summer before his true freshman year and winds up starting all 48 games of his collegiate career twice over was an all big 12 lineman including first team all big 12 his senior year so he was the model of consistency and just a really productive player that got stronger as he grew into his body and added to his frame played through injuries a couple of times in the middle of his career for lengthy stretches and yet never came off the field. So you got to love a guy like that. He's gritty. He's tough. He's a really high character young man. It'll be a tremendous addition to your franchise. If not for a cashew allergy, he would not have wound up at Kansas. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, he was supposed to go to Air Force. His brother had played at Air Force, and he was always planning to follow in his brother's footsteps. And He shows up on campus, and in the medical reports, there pops up the allergy, and at uh, you know a place like Air Force, that's enough to derail your acceptance. And so it's June of, of the summertime that precedes his first semester as a college student-athlete, and thankfully for him, his Garland High School coach, Jeff Jordan, had just taken a job for another Garland graduate, at the time, Kansas head coach David Beatty. And so, you know, one door closes, another opens, and Akeem has a tremendous perspective on that. that you never know you know, what curveball life's going to throw you. In some ways, this weekend was a curveball because I know he really felt like he was going to go in the fourth round, but he's been a guy that's always accepted whatever cards he's dealt and then makes the most of them. In this case, he comes to Kansas, and as I said, within about six weeks, he's won himself a, a starting job, and he never let loose of it his entire career. Got to finish up playing his last season for Les Miles, a future Hall of Famer in his own right, and, and learned a lot from Coach Miles, a former O-lineman himself. So uh, he had a chance to, to play for several guys he never would have dreamed he would have played for had it not been for the cashew allergy. But all the while, he felt like it was happening for a reason and he was getting blessed by it. And here he is now fulfilling his NFL dream because of it. We are spending a few minutes with the voice of the Kansas Jayhawks, Brian Haney. When Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan was asked about Hakeem, the first thing that he spoke of was his smarts. Did that stand out in your interactions with him? Absolutely. Uh, very football savvy, uh, a guy that always on Tuesdays when we got to talk to the players, you can always count on a great soundbite from him because whether they'd only had a day or so of film study, he'd already been watching it in the weeks leading up on that next opponent coming up. So he always had a head for the, uh, the scouting report and the opposition coming up. And on top of that, he's just a delightful young guy to talk to. His mother is from Nigeria, and she was actually a broadcast TV star back in Nigeria as a reporter, news anchor, journalist. And so he's always been a very well-spoken young man, and when you add in how much he studies the game and how well-prepared he is week in and week out, I think you'll find him from a media perspective as, as one of your favorites to talk to. It seems like in this particular draft, if you are not a team captain, the Bengals aren't interested. It's been one <laughs> one team captain after the next, and that was the case for Akeem Adeniji. What traits stood out that his teammates would want him in that role? Great question. And, you know, when you think about his four years at Kansas, and I talked earlier about no matter what the circumstances are, always finding a positive, adjust and move forward, starting with how he arrived here to then the adversity of going through three different offensive line coaches and two head coaches in his time here. He was always the same consistent 
eyes on the prize, looking ahead as opposed to looking behind and, and all that type of mentality. And I think that's what you need in a leader. A next play up, next man up, that kind of mindset. And he had that throughout. And no matter who was doing the coaching on the sidelines or who the head man was atop the program, he adjusted. And Hakeem was the same guy bringing his lunch pail to work every single day. Same approach, same hard work, a rock steady, solid. And I think that's what you want from leaders, obviously. He didn't obviously enjoy as much winning here as, as we would like. The last time, uh, well, not the last time. I guess you guys took Tanner Hawkinson in 2013. But before that, when you took a Kansas offensive lineman in 2008, Anthony Collins, he'd just come off 12 wins and the Orange Bowl championship. Akeem never got that. But he was the part of some really big individual moments, like beating Texas as a sophomore, first time KU beating UT in 50 years. He helps KU beat Boston College on national TV this year, beat Texas Tech. I think he's excited to, to get in with, with a great franchise that's clearly on the rise now with Joe Burrow and T. Higgins and all these guys and be a part of a young nucleus that's going to do a whole lot more winning than what he ever achieved on the collegiate gridiron. And because he's so consistent, so well-prepared and so determined, I think he's going to fit into that pedigree and DNA with the rest of those guys like Burrow and Higgins. My thanks to Brian Haney for that in-depth look at Hakeem Adeniji. The Bengals' seventh and final pick was another linebacker, Marcus Bailey, who grew up in Columbus before a standout career at Purdue. He was still available with a 215th pick in the draft due to knee problems. Marcus tore the ACL in his left knee as a freshman, then tore the ACL in his right knee early last season. Here's a closer look at Marcus Bailey from Purdue Radio Voice, Tim Newton. Marcus Bailey is a really instinctive football player. Uh, when he hits somebody, they usually go down. Uh, he doesn't miss a lot of tackles. He's very good in open space. Uh, going up against some of the best athletes in the Big Ten one-on-one in the flat, he was able to get guys to the turf with regularity. And if he can stay healthy, I think the Bengals have one of the steals of the draft. A Bengals coach described him as a football junkie. Is that accurate? I think it is. He would see him all the time over in the football complex. Uh, you know, he's a good student. He was a three-time academic All-Big Ten. He graduated early. In fact, was actually into his second year of grad school uh, starting last season. So uh, he's, he's a guy that is a student of the game. I think, again, that matched with his instinctiveness on the football field has, has really made him a very productive player. And it's, it's a shame that his last season was cut short just as his first season was. But um, he's a guy that football is very important to him, and I think he's also a great leader. Uh, and that was shown by the fact that his teammates voted him a captain. We are visiting with Purdue Radio Voice Tim Newton. When he suffered that knee injury last year, second torn ACL of his Purdue career, how devastating was that for the entire program? I think of all the losses that Purdue had, and I've never seen a team as ravaged last year by injury as, as this team was, his was the biggest loss of all. And it wasn't just the fact that he was probably the best defensive player in terms of production, but he was also the best leader. Uh, and I think that's really where a lot of things went sideways in the season last year for Purdue is after he got hurt, there wasn't that guy that could bring everybody together in the huddle in the midst of battle and say, okay, let's let's settle down. We need to do this, that, or the other thing. Uh, it, they really, really suffered after he went out last season. So it was a huge loss, both from what he was able to do production-wise, but also his leadership. 
You mentioned, Tim, that you think he could turn out to be a steal if he stays healthy. Did you have any sense prior to his injury for how high he might have been drafted? Oh, I think he had a, a – I believe, and, and this is talking to some people and, and both in the scouting business and, and on the coaching staff, I think he was a second- or third-round talent. I really believe that. Just, again, from his productivity and the fact that he is good in space, he's, a, he's an outstanding athlete, and he only played with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. He's a, he's a kid from Columbus that was not recruited by his hometown team, and uh, in 2018 he got a measure of revenge by – taking an interception in for a touchdown in the big win over Ohio State. So he was a kid that was motivated from the time he got on campus. But I think when he was healthy, he was easily one of the best five linebackers in the conference. And that's saying a lot with some of the talent we have at places like Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. But he was he was really a, a legitimate uh, all-Big Ten player and I think uh, was going to have a great senior season. The Bengals have really struggled in recent years to find linebackers with coverage ability. You mentioned his pick six against the Buckeyes. He had six interceptions in his career at Purdue. Is that a strength? It is. I think he's able to get out. I mentioned the fact that he can get guys down in one-on-one situations, but he's also going to be somebody that will be able to cover running backs coming out of the backfield, I think. Uh, whether he had to pick up a tight end or a running back, he'll be able to play in, in space. And, and he's, he's able to cover a lot of ground. He's a sideline-to-sideline player. Um, he's, he, I think he's really, again, the, the whole package. The only problem with him is, has been the knee injuries and, and keeping him, him on the field and healthy. It happened early last year. It sounds like the surgery went smoothly and everything's coming along on schedule. Is he the type of guy that, just based on his history, you would expect to make a speedy recovery? Oh, I would think so. He, he did. He recovered very well from the first surgery, and from all indications we had, this one was going equally as well. So I would expect by whenever training camp is that he should be ready to go. And it will be you know close to a full year by the time he gets back on the field, if it's July or August. And he, he suffered the injury in September, so he's had he will have had the majority of the year by the time he gets on the field. But he's been rehabbing. And, and I think he'll be ready to go physically. I know he's ready to go mentally. My thanks to the voice of the Boilermakers, Tim Newton. Now time for a day three recap and an overall look at the Bengals draft class with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. All right, Lap, we'll talk about the day three draft picks and then we'll get to an overview of the entire draft for the Bengals. Let's start in round four with the first pick of the fourth round. The Bengals drafted the guy that you more or less predicted they would pick prior to day three of the draft, linebacker Akeem Davis-Gaither. They not only doubled down at linebacker in this draft, three of their seven picks came from that position. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, they, they've done it before, talked about before the draft, um, back in the early part of the century, they draft... Uh, Keel Spikes, Brian Simmons, Steve Foley, three draft picks, and then they they signed a, a free agent, Adrian Ross. Well, they draft three uh, picks here at linebacker, not as high, but they still address it. Um, and then they may sign another one in free agency. We don't know. The common denominator in the overhaul of those two different occasions, Mark Duffner. So Mark Duffner had a had a big say in evaluating the uh, the linebacker talent in both of those instances, and. Uh, and maybe rebuilding the linebacker group, and I, I think that these guys individually have a lot of a lot of pride, and I think the game of football means a ton to them. And I think collectively, I think they'd like to be 
the three musketeers that turned the uh, the franchise around at the linebacker position. I think they've relished the fact that you know they could wave the flag that uh, they're the guys that solidified the middle of the Cincinnati Bengals defense that was abused and had so many uh, problems with missed tackles and missed assignments and everything else. I, I see all three of those guys, you know, um, wanting to make uh, make that different for sure. And Akeem Davis uh, Gaither is is a captain, son of a football coach. And when you when you have sons of football coaches, that means that they have a support system. You know, they've grown up around the game. The entire family, wife and other siblings, understand the, the, how important the game is and. It gives uh, it gives them an additional opportunity to succeed, a, a tremendous support system, and and I think uh, I think that's going to pay dividends for the Bengals. You saw Akeem Davis Gaither at the Senior Bowl. The Bengals coaching staff obviously got to know him there. He was the Sun Belt Defensive Player of the Year at Appalachian State. Draft expert Dane Brugler from the Athletic had him number fifty-four overall on his board. The Bengals got him with a one hundred and seventh pick, so that's all good. The question mark with him seems to be, is he big enough? Right, and because and, he's fast enough. I mean, you know, he, he runs 4-5, and that, that's going to be the thing. Um, when, when he's on the football field, particularly in the AFC North, I mean, by formation, they're going to probably try to, to target him in an area, try to locate him in an area of the football field where they're going to test his ability to get off blocks and stop the run. You know, I, I think they everybody's going to understand that a guy of that size and that kind of speed, you know, will operate well in space. But can can he muscle up? You know, can when when um, you come in there with a couple of a uh, couple of tight ends, and you know, when they sub packages like that, he may be subbed out of the football game. But if if they decide to you know reduce uh, the formation and, and and play smash mouth football between the hash marks and, and get him in tight in a phone booth as such. Can he operate his way out of that phone booth? And, and uh, that's that's going to be the the test for all these young linebackers because some of these uh, some of these guys in the offensive lines with the Baltimore Ravens and Pittsburgh Steelers and Cleveland Browns. I mean, it, they're um, they these college kids uh, that are coming in may have seen one or two of those guys during the course of the season. Now they're going to see five of those guys every single week of their uh, professional career. I'm guessing that special teams coordinator Darren Simmons loves this pick. Akeem, yes. Yeah, Akeem Davis-Gaither played special teams at Appalachian State. He was the team's special teams player of the year early in his career. He had a game-saving blocked field goal last year against North Carolina. So this is not something that he is going to have to embrace at the NFL level. It's something he's been doing. Absolutely, Dan, and, and and you look at uh, you look at all the picks, uh, you know, at, at the linebacker position. You know, they're being termed as potentially as, as uh, three down linebackers, but you know, I'm not sure that that's going to be the case with all of them as rookies. Uh, so at some point in time, I'm sure Logan Wilson will get some taste of uh, special teams. Akeem Davis Gaither uh, will as well, and uh, Marcus Bailey, the third linebacker that uh, that they drafted uh, at the end of the day. Um, all of them have tasted special teams, particularly early in their career, like you said, as they as they turn into stalwarts on the defensive side of the football, you know, that, that minimalizes the, the special team snaps. But these guys were all smart. That's a common denominator too with all the picks, Dan. Man, they're all captains, they're all smart, they're all sons of coaches. I mean it's crazy. I, I think that they they're gonna understand very quickly 
and uh, Darren Simmons will make a point of them understanding it very quickly that their future is going to be determined on the, in the short term by what they do for Darren Simmons. Let's move to the fifth round. The Bengals selected a defensive end out of Notre Dame, Khalid Kareem, 6'4", 268 pounds, another college captain. The description I got on him was solid, if unspectacular, had five and a half sacks this year, forced three fumbles, and apparently has gigantic arms. Yeah, he's got a huge wingspan, 84-inch wingspan, 34-and-a-half-inch length in the arms, big hands. Um, so that, that tells you that he, he should be able to control people and keep people uh, you know, away from him, out of, his, out of his body as such. And you know, all, all these guys, too, they have position versatility. You know, he might uh, give him some snaps at defensive end, might give him some snaps at outside linebacker, could be a sub-package edge rush guy because he could, you know, they could drop him off into coverage. And, you know, what they've done with Sam Hubbard, uh, I think this guy might be capable of doing as well. And, you know, a, a, another kid that, uh, a captain of his football team. And, um, you know, the culture that they're building, I think, is uh, is very, very interesting. You know, it's uh, another one that, uh, that was uh, – he was scheduled to play in the senior bowl. He couldn't because of injury, but you know he's he's obviously he's obviously got some some talents. And, and coming out of Notre Dame, we know what Brian Kelly's all about. We know the program that Brian Kelly runs, so we know that this kid is is the real deal in terms of being you know a, not only a good football player but a solid citizen in every way, shape, or form. To the sixth round, where the Bengals selected an offensive lineman, Hakeem Adenaji. He played tackle at Kansas. Apparently, the Bengals look at him as a guy who could play guard as well in the NFL. And of all the Bengals draft picks, he's the one who has the most interesting backstory. He was going to go to Air Force, and then shortly before he was ready to go from high school to college, Air Force said, nope, you can no longer be admitted because of a cashew allergy. Man, how... How bad would you feel as the coach that recruited him? Everything's hunky dory. It's all set to go, and cashew allergy nullifies the whole thing. <laughs> Man, that, that had to be a, an interesting dynamic. His brother was already at Air Force, already gone to Air Force. That tells you a lot about that family. When when you're talking the military academies, I mean, uh, you know, I, I remember when it was uh, I get recruited by Army and Navy, and and you have to get you know a, um, your local senator, Senator Ted Kennedy. Wrote a letter of recommendation, Army and Navy, for me. So I know the process you have to go through, and for these these guys to get accepted to Air Force tells you a lot about the type of person they are. And another, there's another case of a guy that's got some intellect. You know, I mean, there's there's no doubt about it. These guys took the book seriously, not just the football field or the basketball court or whatever the case may be. They they they're they're true student athletes. And you know, the thing about this guy is when you look at his game, he's ex- explosive he's sudden he's got really good feet i think he's got some big upside i really do i i think that uh initially you know he played more left tackle than right tackle but if i'm doing a depth chart for the season i i have him in 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 the competition over there at the right tackle spot to see uh who's the better man you know bobby hart is fred johnson is is fred the, the better man is uh is it is it this rookie i mean i i'd 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 make that a very competitive scenario over there at the right tackle position, then move from there accordingly. It's a lot easier. You know, he was supposed to bounce in, you know, go, he did put part in the, uh, in the senior bowl. And this is one of the three senior bowl people that, uh, that the Bengals drafted. Um, and, you know, he did it willingly. And I think initially they're going to take a look at him and tackle, but 
Hey, if you can play tackle, I'm telling you, it's much easier to kick inside and play guard usually. It's pretty remarkable what he accomplished at Kansas. He gets the late word from Air Force that he can't go there because of the cashew allergy. So he winds up at Kansas at the last minute, shows up for fall practice, wins a starting job, and starts 48 consecutive games. Yeah, that's that's the other thing. A lot of these guys are, you know, four-year players, redshirt guys. Uh, they, they, everybody they drafted has played a lot of football, uh, except when injury, unfortunately, interrupted, you know, their respective careers in, in, in some cases. They played a lot of football, respected by their teammates, voted captain, handled the academic part of it. You know, it's it, it really is. I mean, it, it, my my uh, numbers say three three senior bowl participants. Senior bowl certainly paid off for the Cincinnati Bengals in this draft. Five of the seven draft picks are captains. Three of the seven draft picks are coaches' sons. I mean, my goodness, you know, it's it's. Uh, I think <laughs> I'm not sure if they had the FBI, CIA. I don't know how many people investigated the character of their players, but. Well, they did a good job of screening them and, and, and getting guys that, in, in most cases, came from very, very successful winning programs as well. And the same thing happened in free agency, Dan. I mean, you know, what they did in free agency, it's like everybody was on a playoff team. So it's, it, it's, there's, there's some common denominators that, uh, that flowed through all these selections, including Hakeem. The Bengals' final pick was linebacker Marcus Bailey out of Purdue, and this reminds me of the Rodney Anderson selection last year and that you take a late draft chance on a guy with an injury history who was extremely productive when he wasn't hurt. Uh, He only played in a couple of games last year. He missed the last 10 with a torn right ACL. Early in his college career, he tore his left ACL, but in between, he was one of the most productive linebackers in the Big Ten. Yeah, and, and when you hear that, I mean, he's he's a, a football junkie as such. He's always at the facility. You know, you can only spend so many hours with a player by NCAA uh, rules, X number of hours per week. But that doesn't mean that the player can't go in there on their own and uh, break down tape and do everything they want to do in that regard to improve themselves as football players. And that was Marcus Bailey. And the coaches basically had to kick him out of the place. That tells you that uh, you, you got a guy that uh, the game is significantly important to him. He can't. He's got a thirst for knowledge. Uh, you know, he started throwing names out there like Luke Keekley, Bobby Wagner, that uh, you know he felt like had a had a uh, tremendous football IQ that could never be uh, satisfied. And another good student, you know, three point five GPA. He's got his master's in leadership. That's, uh, that's pretty good. I mean, he said he's going to be at Kansas, uh, at, at um, Purdue for five years. Why not get a master's degree out of it? That, that, that's somebody that's got some maturity to him. Instead of, uh, you know, worrying about uh, where your next beer is coming from on campus and the party, you know, he, he wants to balance it out and make sure that he's got his academics taken care of. And another guy that uh, gives you a lot of position versatility. He can play well in space. Um, you know, he can cover people. He can blitz. So I, they, they've they've got themselves uh, some chess pieces to play with at this linebacker position with smart guys that you don't necessarily have to sub in and out of there. Um, you know, when when the offense makes substitutions and personnel uh, formation wise, you're, you're allowed to. But if the offense has versatility and they flex tight ends, whatever the case may be, and they don't allow you to sub personnel, you get linebackers that can walk out there with those tight ends. In some cases, uh, you know, maybe you know, even cover a slot receiver, you know, at a pinch. And when you have those kind of athletes, it gives you, 
gives you a heck of a counter. I mean, now you're in a great chess match. There's no question about it. All right, a few big-picture topics now that the draft is finished for the Bengals. We've talked about the fact that a lot of these guys were captains. Six of the seven draft picks were college captains. Logan Wilson, three-time captain. Marcus Bailey, two-time captain. Joe Burrow, two-time captains. I joked on Twitter, the only captains the Bengals didn't draft were Hook, Kangaroo, Morgan, and Crunch. I like Uh, it. But uh, Zach Taylor made a point of saying, it's great that they're captains. That says something about them. But we didn't just draft good guys. They were all extremely talented players, and the captain aspect is a nice bonus. Right, and I think I think um, you know the the concept of all right. When you're a captain, one of the things that you have to do is make sure that you're setting a standard where don't accept anything but the best effort out of individual players, and then of course it accumulates to to be a team thing. And you have to set the standard, and and that's why in my mind, you know, great players, um, you know, like Anthony Munoz, James Brooks, you know, pick some of the great players in Bengals franchise history. Their work ethic was to, to such that, man, those guys, they're always in the Pro Bowl every year, and, and look what they're doing. Am I doing enough? And that's, that's a good thing to have, <laughs> telling you, when, you're, when your best players have that sort of a, a professional approach to it, the mentality where I'm going to be the best and no one's going to stop me from being the best. It raises the whole boat. You know, Tom Brady is, is in there, you know, bright and early first one in last to leave. And he's not wasting time. He's efficiently getting himself better, you know, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Now, now he's two decades into it. It's crazy. And if, if you can find guys that have that type of mentality, that type of mindset, you know, instead of the coaches, having to force you to do it if the players are saying hey follow my lead do what i do and and it's a positive example now you got something cooking if the players can can set this the standard of that police themselves if somebody strays the players take care of it that's the good teams that i played on or played with we never waited for coaches to discipline or correct or whatever man took care of our we took care of it ourselves it's like hey dude we got something good going on here don't screw this up you know if you, if you don't want to be part of this there's the door don't let it hit you in the butt on your way out and, and when the players are believing that, that that kind of mentality and self-policing it now you got something powerful the biggest surprise to me is that the Bengals never traded down for more picks I would have guaranteed going into this draft, that at some point they're going to trade down a few spots to get more picks. And when they uh, reached their their spot in every round, either they liked the guy that was there so much that they weren't willing to go down or no team really made a good enough offer for them to do it. Yeah, right. And I think, I think the overall depth of the draft had a play in that. You know, it's like, okay, and I'm sure not only did the Bengals just wait for people to call, uh, be proactive, not reactive. I think they probably picked the phones up and, and t- targeted some people and, and tried to see if they uh, could work work something out. But if if, if whoever it is, uh, you, you're trying to get them to move up, and they're looking at their board just like you are, and they're saying, hmm, I got three or four guys here I'm comfortable with. Why should I give you draft capital to move up to take them when I can sit and still get one of them? 
And that's what the Bengals were trying to do is, you know, move back and accumulate capital and still be satisfied with one of them. So it, it, it just, there was never anybody that I guess slid to the point where, Oh my gosh, we had this guy, you know, evaluated a full round better than where he is now. So maybe the overall depth of the draft was a, you know, was, was a factor in that. And, um, but being the, the first man out of the gate, you know, every round, let's face it, every player they picked, they had evaluated around higher because they had the first pick of the following round. So it's easy to say, oh, we had him right here as a third round guy. You took him the first pick in the fourth round. It's basically a third round draft pick. But, you know, in some instances, I know they had guys, you know, a, a, a way up in that round and maybe even at the end of the round before that. And like we talked about before, Dan, everybody's board is set differently because, you know, people, it's, it, it's all, it almost gets humorous to me. And because like Zach said, okay, do you draft for need or do you draft for best player? And he said, well, it's always a combination. And that's why every team's draft board is different. Every team has different needs. So when you're evaluating a player, it's like, mm, yeah, well, boy, this, this offensive tackle is good. And so is this cornerback, but we have a much bigger needed offensive tackle. He's going to go up higher on our board than the cornerback. So that's why everybody's board is different. You know, when you set your board, you've already kind of, you know, had a blend of need and, and best player available. So that's why it kind of tickles me where, oh, man, we had this guy evaluated, you know, so much higher. And the, the, the other team be like, what? Man, we didn't have that guy up. We didn't have him that high at all. I had totally different needs. You're running totally different systems. Um, you know, you have to you have to basically draft football players that that fit your system. It's crazy to draft football players and say, "Oh, just because of this one guy, we're going to change what we do from a philosophical standpoint." No. So you know, you set what you're going to do and try to draft players that fit it, and that's why everybody's board's different. What do you make of the fact? that they only selected one offensive lineman and they didn't choose him until round six. Yeah. Like, like we talked about earlier, I think they're, you know, they're feeling that uh, they've, they've made some improvements there. You know, I think that uh, I do think that the, the right tackle is going to be a free for all Bobby Hart. Uh, you know, Fred Johnston obviously is, is, is going to be uh, going to be in the mix. And, uh, and so will Hakeem. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Um, so, you know, that, that, that'll be a, just at the right tackle position. Uh, right guard, Xavier and Alex will be, you know, competing. Uh, Sue Aflo and, and Alex Redmond, they'll be competing. And, you know, maybe if, uh, if, if it works out where Hakeem you know, isn't, isn't in the mix real strongly at tackle, he could kick inside the guard. Um, you know, Trey Hopkins has Billy Price. And Billy Price can, you know, play both guards. So he gives you some depth at the all three interior positions. Michael Jordan came on. I thought Michael Jordan grew a lot. I mean, Michael Jordan, he met his match in Pittsburgh with Cameron Hayward. Man, that was a man against a boy that day. But Michael Jordan grew. He he won the boy at the end of the season. There's no doubt about that. That He he had a baptism under fire, and he got torched pretty good. But he didn't curl up in his fetal position and, and cry about it, which I respected the hell out of. And he came back and played some pretty good football in the second half of the season. Um, Jonah Williams is going to be interesting to see, you know, see what he gives Dan, you know, what he's capable of. I mean, obviously highly regarded the 11th pick in the draft. Um, and, and that's, uh, that's right. Keem's played mostly left tackle. 
So worst case scenario, you just get a swing tackle in Hakeem, Isaiah Prince. I mean, it's 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 different and better than what they had at the start of the season last year for sure. And then with the scheme change that fit everybody, I think they're you know drafting the, the one lineman they did draft has athletic ability. He has good feet. You know, he's not uh, he's not a guy that can't climb to the second level when they're running inside or outside zone. He's he's, he's not a guy that can't uh, can't move when they run their, you know, pin and pull stuff. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I would think that they're probably targeting some college free agents in terms of the offensive line. Um, whoever's left from the senior bowl that they worked with down there, I'm sure they'll bring them to camp, you know, and that they've either met with and studied from the North or coached, uh, from the South. Um, I know Balch got drafted. I know Hennessy got drafted. Both of those guys were down at the Senior Bowl, but I'm not sure about how many of, of the other offensive linemen get drafted. And the fact that they only signed, uh, only drafted seven rookies, you would think that you might have a few more dollars in the budget to go out and get, you know, an additional college free agent or two. But like we talked about earlier, with this era of the coronavirus and you know very few OTAs potentially or mini camps or anything else. And, how are you going to evaluate guys? How many do you bring in? You know, you may not need 90 players this year. It might be a different kind of year. It might only need 80. It might only need 75. So all that stuff I'm sure they're talking about. They've already – I know they've I know they got a budget, um, you know, for college free agency, and then they, they kind of assign it to different position groups. And if one position group has success, um, you know, the other position, position group um, might not get the guy they're looking for. It frees up funds for – you know, a third position group or whatever. So that's kind of the way they, the way they work it. Whoever has the early success, whoever gets the first guess gets the dough. <laughs> and, uh, and then they just go from there. So I'm sure they've targeted a couple of offensive linemen and they're probably on the phone with them uh, as we speak there. I'm glad you mentioned Jonah Williams because after our last podcast, I got a question from somebody on Twitter that's a tough question, but a fair question. You pointed out that one of the reasons why Josh Jones from Houston slid in the NFL draft was that he has short arms. His arms are roughly the same length as Jonah Williams. Why didn't Jonah slide for the same reason? Bottom line is he's just an overall, you know, better player with his feet, with his power, with everything else uh, that he could overcome it more than that, more than Jones could. But, um, and, and we'll see. We'll see if we'll see if Jonah Williams if that's going to be a problem for him as well. Uh, I will. I will say, because I remember experiencing it when you when you're trying to pass protect against a you know an octopus, and uh, you know you don't have those octopus length arms. That's tough. That's tough. You can try to swat them away from you. You know it's hand to hand combat. But before you could use your hands, I had to keep my hands, my fists clenched in on my sternum. And you know, try to block the chicken wing elbows. Those old rules were tough. Yeah, the old rules were brutal. And these guys have you know thirty-six inch arms, and they they could head slap. They're swatting your head around. Their ear, you know, they're popping your ear hole and your helmet. Your your eardrums are popping and bursting. You know, it's like what the hell, man? It might be something else I can do other than this. It, It was it was brutal. But then when they allowed you to use your hands as an offensive line, now you can counter, you know, and do some hand to hand combat stuff. So. You know, a lot of all, all of that comes into play. How good are, if you do have short arms? How good are your hands? Well, where's your hand placement? How quick are your hands? Uh, you know, how, how good are you in that hand-to-hand combat? But yeah, uh, it's it, it's probably that's not the the only reason that you draft or don't draft a guy. But 
you know, I think it's a tiebreaker. I, I do think it's a tiebreaker at times. All right, final question. You've been associated with this franchise for more than 40 years. Do you ever recall a time that the fan base was so excited about a newcomer as Bengals fans are about Joe Burrow? Boy, you know, I know I know the fans were pumped up when we drafted two-time Heisman Trophy winner Archie Griffin from right up the road in Columbus, Ohio. There's no doubt about that. And Archie's such a great guy to boot. I mean, you talk about somebody that uh, – you, know, you could put up on billboards it could be a face of your franchise that wasn't a quarterback but here's the guy that is the face of your franchise as the quarterback and and he's uh he's uh, he's something special and there's, there's no doubt about it i mean it's this this uh this community is fired up this region should be fired up and i think it is fired up i, th- I do think that this uh this guy's going to do some some very special things um you know when you drafted First, uh, first pick of the draft was the Heisman Trophy winner Carson Palmer. Everybody's excited about, obviously, and he had some had some good years for the Bengals. But man, Joe Burrow, uh, and, and, but Carson was a California guy, and Carson, you know, made it made it known that he didn't wasn't sure if he and his wife fit in the Midwest, you know, as easily as as people wanted it to to, to take place. And uh, you know, he couldn't wait to get back out to the to the West Coast as quickly as he possibly could. Joe Burrow's coming home. This is this is where it's at for Joe Burrow. I mean, his family is he's so excited about being able to go home and have a home cooked meal with his parents, and uh, his girlfriend lives right here in Mason, Ohio, and her family. Talk about a support system, you know. Is sometimes a two hour two hour drive away. All of his friends, family, supporters. I mean, he, he's he's got he's got a heck of a support system going there, and uh, I, I admire him for. For you know, he went to Columbus, wanted to stay low, but then go down to LSU and do what he did. It shows you a lot. It shows you a lot. Now he now he can be back home again, and um, and a guy that won the Heisman Trophy, the national championship, first pick of the draft, and believe me, every player that has a chance to be the first pick in the draft, you want to compete and get that bad boy. And the records he set. Might be a while before they're broken. 60 touchdown passes accounting for 65 total touchdowns. Ridiculous. Cartoonish. It's crazy. Let's see if he can set some in the NFL. I'm telling you, I'd love to see him. You know, I do think, you know, I don't, I don't want to set, like, ridiculous expectations for Joe Burrow. Um, but I don't know, Dan, you know, Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, they could they could complement each other so well, one hand wash the other. It's the Joe Show. The Joe Show. Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon. Let's get the Joe Show started. Here we go. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.